ecologist Marshall McLuhan reminded his generation that technology is always an extension of the self. A fork is simply an extension of my hand. My car is an extension of my arms and feet, and no less so than Fred Flintstone's footmobile. Likewise, my smartphone extends my cognitive functions. The active neurons in my brain are a crackling tangle of skull lightning, and my thought life resembles a thunderstorm over Kansas. This tiny electrical storm in the microscopic space of my nervous system quite naturally extends out to my thumbs to create tiny digital sparks of electricity inside my phone that beam out to the world by radio waves. This all means that my phone makes a place in time and space, outside of me, where I can project my relationships, my longings, and the full scope of my conscious existence. Tony Reinke opens up his book, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, by bringing Marshall McLuhan's prophetic remarks to life in ways McLuhan himself could never have conceived of. McLuhan, who lived from 1911 to 1980, wouldn't live to see the dawn of the internet age, much less the smartphone and social media age. But he would see the dawn of television and how, through television entertainment, our television sets would project for us the life and culture that we desire. And we could pick the programming that best corresponded to the version of ourselves that we idealized. Of course, television is no longer the best medium for accomplishing that goal. Our smartphones, powered by social media, allow us to achieve an extension of ourselves that reflects our longings, relationships, and the full scope of our conscious existence more powerfully than ever before. If we're unsatisfied with the world that we live in, we can retreat into a digital world of our creation through our smartphones, a world that reflects who we desire to be and that focuses solely on the things we desire to focus on. And we can be perpetually distracted from the world we actually and truly live in. But even smartphones and social media have their limits. And if, as we looked last week, the future of technology and media is to contribute more and more to a distracted digital age, what exactly does that look like? If technology is an extension of the self, then these extensions communicate something about ourselves and the world that we live in. Our smartphones are incredibly powerful tools for communication, but like we talked about at multiple points in this season, mediums are not value neutral. They ask us to do certain things in order to engage with them, and how we engage with them reveals what those mediums value. This applies just as much to the machines as the social and intellectual environments the mediums that the machines create. And if these machines and mediums value certain forms of communication, we must understand what these machines intend to be communicated, what they want to say. Tony Reinke quotes Christian ethicist Oliver O'Donovan in his book, who succinctly captures this idea. The tools set the agenda. A tool of communication is a tool for communicating something. Reinke then immediately references a quote from theologian David Wells. Media don't just lie around passively, waiting for us to come along and find them useful for some project we have in mind. They tell us what to do, and, more significantly, what to want to do. There is a current in the stream, and if we don't know how to swim, we shall be carried by it. I see someone doing something, and I want to do it too. 
Then I forget whatever it was that I thought I wanted to do. These ideas are central to the premise of breaking the digital spell, asking questions about the technology and media that we take for granted to see how they shape the way we think about God and the way we love our neighbor. And these tools of communication influence the way we talk about God in a distracted digital age to our distracted digital neighbors. Again, if the trajectory of technology is towards more and more distraction, these tools are communicating something for us, and they're telling us what we should want to do. And we can't be ignorant as to what those desires and demands are. Now, there's no possible way we can cover all of the new technology and media that is on the horizon. There's just simply way too much to talk about. And with each passing month, it seems as though there are newer possibilities on the horizon for us to consider. In this episode, we're going to look at one particular form of technology that's already here and gaining widespread acceptance. But you can apply what O'Donovan and Wells discuss to the technology and media in your own life. Communication tools are tools for communicating something. Ask yourself, what do the tools you use in your life want you to communicate? What do they want you to say? Technology and media tell us what to do and, more significantly, what to want to do. What does the technology and media in your life want you to do? And what is it willing to do to make doing that thing easy and convenient? This can even apply to technology beyond the confines we've listed here. When we read about the increasing possibility of workplace automation via machines or driverless cars promising safer roads with more free time for the former driver or the disturbing possibility of brothels opening with robots for customers to sleep with, what is being communicated in these advances? Armed with this perspective, you have a starting point for being able to make sense of this rapidly changing digital world, and you'll be able to break the digital spell with the questions that you ask. So let's put that into practice with the main focus of this episode, extended reality technology. Extended reality, according to tech networking firm North of 41, defines extended reality as all real and virtual combined environments and human-machine interactions generated by computer technology and wearables. Extended reality, or XR for short, is an umbrella term for any kind of technology that blends the real world and the digital world to some degree through an interface. This term encompasses the other popular reality technology, including augmented reality, also known as AR, virtual reality, also known as VR, and mixed reality, which is known as MR. Augmented reality, or AR, takes live or direct interaction with the real world and adds digital elements on top of it, usually through the camera of a smartphone or a tablet. If you played Pokemon Go or if you know people who have played it, they're using augmented reality. The camera footage from the real world is augmented with the Pokemon that appear on the street corner or in someone's front yard, and you have to try to catch them. 
But the foundation for that augmentation comes from whatever the phone camera captures in the real world. And by contrast, virtual reality, or VR, totally removes direct interaction with the real world and completely replaces it with a digital world. VR technology, whether it's a phone inside of a headset or a VR gaming rig like the Oculus Rift, requires you to completely block out the real world so your eyes can focus on a digital screen that moves as your head and body does. If you saw the recent film Ready Player One, you saw very powerful VR technology at work. And that level of immersion isn't totally here yet, but we're closer to it than you might think. Mixed reality, or MR, is somewhere in between AR and VR, and is sometimes referred to as hybrid reality. And the main thing that distinguishes MR is that content in the real world and content in the digital world are able to interact with each other, where virtual reality is a fully immersive digital reality and augmented reality adds supplemental digital content on top of some real-world content like the Pokemon and Pokemon Go, mixed reality technology blends the two and allows you to act with the digital content given to you by your display in a real-world context. There are a few demonstration videos on Microsoft's website for their HoloLens headset that shows hologram and digital interfaces that can be controlled via hand gestures, such as tapping through a holographic menu by quite literally tapping it with your hand. All three of these forms of technology, AR, VR, and MR, extend the concept of reality from the real world into the digital space to some degree of immersion, with VR being total immersion in the digital world at the expanse of the real world, and AR and MR being a mixture of the two worlds to some degree. Now, to be perfectly clear, extended reality technology is really, really cool. I personally don't have any desire to play VR games. They just don't really interest me all that much. But if Microsoft were to release a full and proper Halo VR game, I would play that in a heartbeat, no matter how much it costs to get my hands on it. The possibilities of VR and other extended reality technology for creativity, storytelling, and entertainment are absolutely amazing. Likewise, the possibility of MR technology in the workplace is truly incredible. One of the HoloLens demonstration videos I mentioned a bit ago showed an electrical technician making a Skype call to a factory engineer, and together they troubleshoot an electrical problem in real time with the engineer having full access to what the technician could see through the HoloLens interface. That is awesome. Extended reality technology has just as much practical, real-world potential as it does for creating highly immersive entertainment. And we can and should be thankful for what these tools could allow us to do. At this point, though, I want to set aside talk of AR and MR to focus more on VR, because I think VR has unique implications for us to consider due to the fact that Unlike AR and MR, VR is a fully immersive digital experience. In order to use VR, you must block out the real world in order to interact with the digital world given to you in your headset. And I think that raises some questions that, as Christians, we need to consider. And we can use the perspective we outlined earlier in this episode as our starting point.
First of all, what does VR tell the user to do? This is another way of asking what VR values as a medium, and what that medium values will be revealed in what that medium asks us to do in order to use it. VR tells the user that, as a baseline requirement for use, the real world must be completely tuned out. And VR technology is very, very powerful at tricking your brain into thinking the digital world that you are immersed in is the world that you actually live in, and the things that you see on the screen, your mind convinces you is actually happening to you. Now this sets up the next question: What does VR want us to want to do? What kind of desires does VR want us to have, and what is it willing to do to engender those desires in us? This is where VR's strength becomes dangerous because there's nothing wrong with being fully immersed in a digital world for entertainment or recreation. But what happens when you're immersing yourself in a digital world as a means of escaping the real world? VR wants us to desire a digital world that captivates our hearts and attention more than the real world does, and is willing to offer whatever experience is necessary. To make that possible, we can get sucked into distorted realities through prolonged exposure to a television set after a Netflix binge, or through staring at your smartphone for hours on end. But the real world is always in the peripheral vision as you stare into the screen. No matter how much you try, you can't escape the fact that the house is falling apart, or that you're sitting on the couch alone when you watch television. No matter how much we might use television or the internet to escape the real world, the screen size and the location always leaves a little bit of the real world in your peripheral vision. But VR takes that peripheral vision and replaces it with a full digital world that could offer us what our real life can't. The digital world of VR could offer us a life of excitement or adventure. It can offer us the illusion of companionship and satisfaction, as the growing availability of VR pornography demonstrates. It can offer us beauty, fascination, and wonder when we can't find it outside our front door. It can allow us to satisfy our deepest, darkest desires. And Jeremy Balenson of Stanford University succinctly captures why this should concern us. Am I terrified of the world where anyone can create really horrible experiences? Yes, it does worry me. I worry what happens when a violent video game feels like murder, and when pornography feels like sex. How does that change the way humans interact, function as society? One possible result is a society very much like the one depicted in the movie Ready Player One. A world where the real world has absolutely and completely collapsed because the digital world offered through the movie's VR technology is more satisfying than the world the characters actually live in. The Oasis, which is Ready Player One's digital world, is where the vast majority of human socialization now takes place. And given how hideous and broken the world outside the screen is, trailer houses stacked endlessly on top of each other, the smoggy air rendering the sky a neutral gray, everyone desperately chasing solutions in the digital world for the problems they face in the real one—it's depressing. I'm not trying to suggest that VR technology will lead to a guaranteed dystopia like the one Ready Player One describes, 
But I also think it could very easily become that if we don't come to terms with our desire for distraction and escape and how VR technology will offer us a pinnacle of distraction and escape, unlike anything else that has come before it. Again, to be perfectly clear, VR technology is pretty awesome, and I'm not trying to say it isn't. However, just like all the other technology and media that we've looked at this season, it's not possible to adopt VR just for the cool or beneficial features. You either adopt all the consequences of VR, the good, the bad, and the dystopian, or you adopt none of it. But Unlike television, the internet, social media, and smartphones, I think the bad and the ugly of VR poses a more serious threat than the dangers of prior technology and media because VR, more than anything else that's come before it, has the ability to numb us to the world we live in. A world created by an omniscient and omnipotent creator who has created a universe that is beautiful, majestic, and amazing but a universe that is marred by our sin against a perfectly holy and righteous king who has pronounced death to the enemies who broke his law. Outside of Christ, we are those enemies under that death sentence. And as sinful enemies of this king, we despise his creation, his laws, his rule and authority, and we desire the means to enact our own authority, our own rule, our own laws within our own creation. VR allows us to fully suppress the truth of God in our unrighteousness and gives us some of the most powerful tools to do just that. I'm not trying to suggest that those who continue to pioneer and improve on this technology are secretly trying to accomplish this while hoodwinking us with the possible benefits of VR. Again, extended reality technology holds some incredible possibilities for legitimately good use, and VR is absolutely included in that. What I am saying is that VR technology is not value neutral, and what it values as a medium, which is giving us fully immersive digital worlds that we want to be in based off of any desire we could have is something that simultaneously strikes at the very core of what it means to be a human made in the image of God living in his creation. We used this quote from Alan Noble's book, Disruptive Witness, several episodes ago, but listen to it again and ask yourself if you can conceive of a more powerful kind of technology that reinforces this notion of the buffered self. Our pervasive culture of technological distraction dramatically exacerbates the effects of buffered self, which in turn feeds the demand for technology of distraction. It is not a coincidence that these two forces have arisen at this point in history. The rise of secularism has inspired a view of technology and fullness rooted thoroughly in this life and established and chosen inwardly, which, I believe, has helped to justify the creation and adoption of technologies that are not directed toward human flourishing, but instead helping us project our identity and remain distracted. Outside of a culture of virtue grounded in an external source, science, technology, and the market have been driven to produce a society that prioritizes the sovereign individual. The modern person experiences a buffer between themselves and the world out there, including transcendent ideas and truths. 
The constant distraction of our culture shields us from the kind of deep, honest reflection needed to ask why we exist and what is true. If our smartphones, social media, and the other forms of technology and media that we use in our culture already distracts us from this kind of deep, honest reflection that we need to ask why we exist and what is true, how much more so does VR allow us to be distracted from asking the most important questions we could ever ask? If modern technology and media exist to put a buffer between us and the world we truly live in, then we as Christians cannot afford to be silent on how technology and media, when incorrectly used, can be a severe obstacle to the gospel. And on next week's episode of Breaking the Digital Spell, it's time for Conclusions, Part 2. Breaking the Digital Spell is produced by Andrew Akins, who has done a fantastic job producing this podcast and helping me get these episodes out each week. He's such a good guy that when we discovered last week that we uploaded the wrong version of the episode by accident, he did everything he could from his work to allow me to get into his house, get on his computer, grab the file, and get it uploaded to you guys. That is some serious dedication to the project that he works on, and I am super thankful thankful for him for that. This podcast is also made possible thanks to my wife, Melissa, who walked approximately 21 miles in the first week of playing Pokemon Go when it released back in 2016. And she also reads the quotes for each week's episode, too. That's also really important. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can like our Facebook page and follow the show on Twitter at Digital Spell, where I will be posting articles and other writings relevant to each week's episode throughout the week. And please, wherever you're listening to this, please consider subscribing and leaving a review. My favorite reviews are five-star reviews, but if you want to leave me a four, a three, or a two, or even a one, I promise I'll read it and I'll take it into consideration, whatever you have to say. But please, leave a review and share this podcast with your friends and family and coworkers, or even on your social media pages. That would really mean a lot to me. My name is Austin, and together we are breaking the digital spell.